Today in our Refuge Sunday School class, we are going to be finishing our series on contending for the faith, and we're going to be talking about faith that reaches to others or contagious faith. So this is going to be an exciting lesson. And before we begin, let's just have a short time of prayer to get our hearts and minds ready. Lord, thank you for allowing us to learn more about cultivating our faith and having greater faith and how the faith that we have and that we grow in our lives can be used for your glory and your purpose. And I pray today, Lord, that we would be determined, Lord Jesus, that we would have faith and that we would act on our faith, Lord God, and that we would utilize these things that you have taught us. Let our ears be open to hear what you want to speak to us, O oh God. And we thank you again for your grace, for your mercy, and for allowing us to listen to your word one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about contending for the faith, and today... We're going to end this series with content to contend for the faith. We have to help others grow in their faith, which when you are teaching others and helping others to grow in their faith, it really does build your own faith. And so it's kind of a it's kind of a got a two way street there. So our scripture today is again found in Jude and Jude verses 22 through 23 say this. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So we're going to summarize and look at Acts chapter 4 and the events that happened in Acts chapter 4. Now here we see the New Testament church, just a couple of chapters removed from the outpouring of the Holy Ghost for the first time. And, um... They had that miraculous outpouring and saw uh, physical miracles. They saw healings, um, and it wasn't just there in the upper room. It was beyond that, and it was in front of the entire population of Jerusalem. And also, it was in full view of the Sanhedrin or the religious leaders of their time. So these miracles and the things that were happening in the early church, they weren't they weren't able to be contained in the walls that they stayed in and they weren't able to be contained just to one place and time. So the Sanhedrin or the ruling class of religious leaders, they were not captivated with the power of God they saw demonstrated through these common people. Um and in one particular instance in the book of Acts chapter 4, there's a lame man who sat by the gate and he receives healing. Um, Jesus' disciples just act in faith as Jesus had taught them to. And this man who was lame is healed. And it disrupted the traditions and the routines of the temple because it was in the vicinity of the temple. And so it was disruptive to what was going on at the temple. Now, this man, he was excited about being healed. He, his exuberance, it was not a welcome sight in the eyes of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He, they were not happy about the disruption that was happening. So he was arrested, as were Peter and John, who had prayed for him. And it was because, you know, they had disturbed the peace and disturbed what was going on there at the temple. Kind of ironic. Now, this was new. This was uncharted waters, even for the Sanhedrin arresting somebody for the underlying crime of healing a person um, was a what we would call a public relations disaster. The elders and the rulers, they wrestled 
with the facts of this case and the potential nightmare of losing political and religious control if further miracles happen. And in the meantime, Peter and John were not making this easy for them. They continued to state that they had a mandate to teach and preach the things they had seen and heard. So this religious council decided to give them a stern warning and let them go. Now, Peter and John, uh, at their release, they returned to the other disciples and followers of Christ And they report to them what had happened on their way to the temple that day. They give the details of the healing and they testify that the lame man had been healed and how they had all been arrested. And no doubt they, they told them about the threats and the warning that they received from the Sanhedrin that they had to stop what they were doing. The reaction of this young church that they had to the issues that were they were dealing with, it was astonishing. They weren't afraid and they weren't cautious, but they were instead filled with boldness and courage. The Bible tells us that the room where they were gathered became a church as this group of believers began to worship God. They reached towards heaven and asked for greater boldness. They asked for greater boldness. The faith of Peter and John was contagious, and it quickly ignited a firestorm of faith for every believer. The reaction of heaven at this request is a lesson for us all, because after the people had prayed, the Bible tells us that the place where they were gathered together began to shake with the power of God. And the people were filled with the Holy Ghost and were given what they had requested. They were given greater boldness. They were given more of what they had been arrested for. And a spirit of unity came on the small group. There was such a move of God that the people sacrificed their own personal possessions for the good of the group. Now, they ask for boldness in a time where the right reaction might have been fear or what we would consider the right reaction. But obviously, the Lord looked down at their prayers and, and saw that the, that the desire for boldness was actually the right reaction. Now, we're talking about contending for our faith. And contending for the faith by facing our fears has an impact on the faith of others. The courage it takes for us to face our fears, it resonates with other people because everybody has some fear they are facing. The fuel for that faith is found in knowing that we are not, we're not trying to conquer our fears alone. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. We don't face our fears alone and with our own power, but with faith we do that through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at four biblical principles that will help guide us in having contagious faith. Number one is the principle of information. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 16 says, Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. Now, faith is not ignoring the facts. It's not based on idealism or being naive, but it is based on knowing the facts, being aware of the truth, and moving forward because our belief is stronger than our fear. 
If we look at the great acts of faith in the Bible, like David slaying Goliath, Daniel surviving the lion's den, or even Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, none of these miracles were based on ignoring the facts. These individuals did not act without knowledge. They acted despite knowledge. Now, nobody has better clarity than Jesus. He has more knowledge and wisdom than anyone, and yet he continues to work in the realm of the miraculous and supernatural. We must not be afraid of the information in front of us. Ignorance, it doesn't help us have more faith. We can't be afraid to know the facts, and we can't be afraid to have information. There is the principle of information. Number two is the principle of evaluation. There's nothing unscriptural or unspiritual about weighing the pros and cons. Luke chapter 14 verses 28 through 31 says, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that come against him with 20,000. These are the words of Jesus talking about weighing out the pros and cons to our decisions. David, before he fought Goliath, asked three times what the reward was for the fight. It is wise to count the cost because everything we believe in has a price tag. And if we believe in the right things, it will become contagious and help to increase the faith of those around us. We can even see that in in David when he did fight Goliath. We can see those around him and how their mindsets kind of begin to change. And and they think, well, maybe, maybe this is a good idea. Even the king giving him his armor. So there is a principle of evaluation. And then there's a principle of preparation. This is the third principle. Some falsely, falsely believe that faith is exercised when emotion outdoes logic or that somehow faith is a knee-jerk reaction to a feeling that is not based on careful planning. However, it is really the opposite. The Bible says that Noah believed and prepared an ark to the saving of his family. He truly believed or he would not have done that. But he had a lot of planning to do. Noah believed the word of God and it caused him to prepare an ark. Sin and lust work with the instant gratification appetite of our flesh. But faith is the complete opposite. Faith is patient. Faith is persistent. Faith sees the big picture. Faith takes preparation. Jesus even said when his disciples were trying to figure out why they couldn't do the miracles that he did, he said, this only happens when you pray and fast. Fast. So when you prepare yourself, then you see that faith in action. Now, contagious faith that other people see is based on careful planning that reinforces the decision to believe and act upon it. Then there is the principle of declaration. 
The Lord told his disciples they needed to have a faith that would cause them to speak to their mountains. He then gave them this promise in Matthew seventeen twenty: The mountain or obstacle would be removed and nothing would be impossible unto them. For faith to be contagious, it must be spoken. Spoken faith not only reinforces our own resolve, but it also ignites a fire in others. We must not speak negative thoughts and then wonder why we are fear, fearful. And this isn't just a practice in, in only the spiritual things in our lives, but throughout our day and in the mundane things, if we are negative and complaining, it sets us up to fail in the area of our faith. Because to complain and be negative is to say that the promises of God are not true. On the other hand, when we speak the promises of God, even when we don't see them, they will build courage and they will build faith. And then there's the principle of initiation. We may plan, pray, and declare, but then many of us still drop the ball. Why? Because we don't initiate. We want God to open the door while we just walk through it, but we have to knock. We have to initiate. We have to start. The first time the children of Israel crossed a major body of water, the Red Sea, it opened to them, allowing them to cross on dry ground. However, before they could cross into the promised land, this, they, they had to step into the Jordan River. So the second time that this, this came up against them or they came up against a body of water that they needed to cross, they had to step out into the water and only then did the waters part. If we step into our miracle, others will join. In Luke chapter 8, the Bible records the story of a sick lady hungry for a miracle from God. And though she had a socially embarrassing disease, she decided to pursue God, regardless of any possible embarrassment that she would surely face. Now, she received her miracle without Jesus even praying for her or touching her, but she simply touched the hem of his garment, and her faith in action triggered healing virtue to begin flowing out of Jesus' body, healing her sickness. Fear that would like to kill our faith, it lives in the land of inactivity. On the other hand, people of action, when we act, when we do things, fear struggles to stay alive in us. Now, faith, it is contagious when it is exercised. The Bible, it never records Jesus attending a funeral, but he raised three people from the dead. Jairus's daughter, Lazarus, and the widow's son from Nain. They were all young people. Now, Jesus, he did not heal Jairus's daughter until he did three things. Number one, he asked the people gathered why they were crying and wailing. He told them the girl was not dead. She was only sleeping. By asking the question, you know, why are they crying? He was able to see who believed and who did not. The second thing Jesus did was he put all the critics and all the skeptics out of the room. He only wanted those who believed to be around him because faith is contagious. The third thing Jesus did was not to pray for the girl. He just spoke to her and said, child, arise. And of course, we know she did. 
Jesus had invited his inner circle of disciples into the room with him, Peter, James, and John. And they must have been thinking how incredible it was to be a part of something so miraculous. Later, when Peter prayed for a young lady, Dorcas, who had died, he operated in faith just as he had seen Jesus do. Now, why did they call for Peter when this young lady died? Because he'd been with Jesus. He had been in the exact same circumstance and watched faith in action. People who had, have been, who have been with Jesus, are able to make a difference in the lives of others. Exercise faith. It spreads to the masses when it's birthed in the company of you. When we, li- when we lift up the Lord by exercising our faith, the faith of non-believers increases. And we can lift up the Lord in three ways, through faith, joy, and worship. Each time we lift up the Lord, the faith it, that is in other people is increased. Jesus said in John twelve thirty two, and I, if I be lifted up in all the earth, will draw all men unto me. When we lift up the Lord in faith, in joy, or in worship, it becomes a form of praise that spreads to others, that is seen by others, that draws others into the presence of the Lord, and it becomes contagious. Of course, let's not forget about adversity. Adversity creates an environment that makes strong faith spread to others. Now, we don't like adversity, but when it comes to our faith, adversity can be an even greater testimony. Paul and Silas in Philippi, they used adversity to bring revival by contending or fighting for the faith. Paul and Silas in prison sang and worshipped even though they were hurting, probably physically and emotionally. And this exercised faith, it spread to the others around them. Paul, standing for faith, brought the attention of God Almighty with a physical and spiritual earthquake. The faith of Paul and Silas caused them not to run when the prison bars were open. And this faith caused the jailer in his household to desire salvation. Paul refused to be released privately when he had been punished publicly And all of Philippi was affected. So you see, it began. It began with Paul and Silas, two men who had been beaten and put in prison. And they began to worship and lift up the Lord. And it didn't just affect them, but it affected those in prison with them. All their chains were loosed. All the doors were open. And then it didn't just affect those in the prison, but even the prison guard's family was saved. And beyond that, the entire city was set up for the gospel to be preached there because of the faith of two men. Now, people who claim there is no God, they have never felt his power. Nobody can come out of an earthquake and not believe in earthquakes. Now, people may debate who Jesus is in the cold, empty halls of humanism, but only if they have never been healed, touched, or delivered. If they haven't tasted and seen how awesome he is. Because once we have felt his love, once we have felt the weight of our sins removed, no more shame. Once we felt the joy of the Lord, not only we are, are we changed, but that revelation can change others. 
Faith works hand in hand with evidence. Paul, he stood for his faith in the midst of the storm, and the entire ship he was on was saved. Paul had appealed to Caesar after being arrested by Jewish authorities for preaching the gospel. The Roman authorities were transporting him and other prisoners by boat across the Mediterranean Sea when a large storm endangered the ship and its passengers. And Paul takes a leadership role, not really a surprise, by telling everyone on the ship that they would be saved if they remained on the boat. Paul explained that he had been visited by an angel who had given him assurance and instructions. The Roman authorities, as well as the crew, had to believe Paul in order to follow the instructions, which they did. The faith of Paul encouraged others, and though they lost the ship in the storm, all the people on board were able to get to a small island named Melita, which is also known as Malta today. Now, here's the thing. Paul didn't just all of a sudden start speaking out and everybody listened to him. I believe that on this journey, the faith of Paul had already been affecting those that were prisoners with him, those that were on the ship with him, even those soldiers that were guarding him. His faith had already been affecting them in such a way that when a storm did come, they went ahead and listened to what he said because they understood that he had great faith. Now, on the island of Malta, the faith of Paul, it changed the minds of the people that lived on that island. After members of the sinking ship found boards and other fragments of their broken ship to float on, they made their way back to the land. And they were cold and wet and had just been a shipwreck, a traumatic event. And there on that island, the, those that lived there, the natives of the island, helped them prepare a fire to warm themselves. And while gathering the wood for the fire, a poisonous viper comes out of the wood and bites Paul. Now, Paul, he just flings the snake into the fire. And all of those that live on the island and understand that that is a poisonous snake, they make the assumption that he was a guilty prisoner and he must, the, he must really need to die. Now, they were, they were superstitious in their beliefs on that island, and they concluded that this man had escaped the sea, but he was being judged by what the gods, their false gods that they worshipped. They waited for him to swell up and die, but Paul never got sick. And then the island natives changed their opinion of Paul and began to think that possibly instead of being a guilty prisoner, Paul could himself be a god. Soon others on the island with sickness came to him and they were healed. And the faith of Paul, it changed the minds of the people. Even traditions, things that had lived on that island, strongholds that had lived on that island for years and years were changed by the faith of Paul. Now our faith will change the minds and preconceived ideas of others. Jesus, the greatest contender for the faith, stood strong at Calvary and brought salvation to the world. Standing for what we believe, it is not done in isolation. The faith shown in one person can be replicated in others. Contending for the faith is acting in faith and allowing that faith to stir the gift in others. It becomes a beacon. Even if we are standing alone at first, 
we know that there will be others join us as they see our faith and as it becomes contagious. I want to finish with a story that was shared by David Meyer, who's been the author of this great series on contending for the faith. And he says this, Many years ago, as a young man, I was evangelizing in Indiana. One Sunday night, I was preaching in a church I had preached in many times before. I was preaching on faith, but it seemed that I was not connecting with my audience. So I started to pray while I was preaching, asking God to do a visible miracle that would increase the faith of the church. The Lord spoke to me and let me know there was a man in the service who needed to be delivered from nicotine. My plan was to have him delivered by God supernaturally, and then after the miracle was confirmed, perhaps have him testify. Well, that was my plan, but not God's plan. My plan tried to take all the risk out of it, but God let me know in no uncertain terms that the miracle was going to depend on my willingness to step out in faith. I was directed by the Holy Ghost to a giant of a man in the audience. I stopped preaching and called the man out. I said publicly what the Holy Ghost had told me, and the man lifted his hands and began to cry. I went back to where he was standing and stood on the pew in front of him so that I could lay my hand on his head. As we prayed, he began to shout and proclaim very loudly that he was free. After this, he ran out the back door. I looked around and the pastor looked at me. I didn't know what to do next. It appeared that the man was gone for good. But soon, he came running back in and threw several packs of cigarettes on the floor in the altar area. He began to step on the packs and to smash them, and I could tell the pastor was wondering how they were going to get that out of the carpet. Man received the Holy Ghost and immediately requested the microphone. I gave him the microphone, and he began to share his testimony. He had never been in church before. Just a few days earlier, his doctor had told him he only had six months to live because of lung cancer. He said as he drove by the church that night, a voice told him to go into the church and he would be healed. He thought it was just his radio he was hearing. But as he came back by the church, he heard the voice again. He said he sat in the parking lot for some time before he got the courage to come in. As the prayer was made for his deliverance, he said he felt a warm, soothing sensation come over his body and into his lungs and up out of his mouth. He declared his healing, and later in the week, the doctors confirmed that he had indeed been healed. That night, many visitors who were in town for the holidays made their way to God as this man asked them to join him at the front of the building. Several healings and miracles reported, and many people of different faiths received the Holy Ghost. This man, who had never been to a church before, prayed for people as we had prayed for him and faith multiplied in that building among the people. I learned a valuable lesson that night. If we will operate in faith and not be afraid of the risks, God will take that seed of faith and multiply it to those around us. We contend for the faith by stepping out in faith and allowing our faith to multiply. Let's pray. 
God, thank you so much for this series of lessons on faith. And I pray that we would, we would take everything we've learned and begin to cultivate and grow the faith that is, that we have. We know that you've given us faith, but God, we also know that we can ask for greater faith. And we do that right now. We want to have boldness like the early church to show and have our faith on display. We believe in you. We believe in your power. And we believe, oh God, that as you begin to work in us and through us because of our faith, that others will also see and we will see great revival great miracles because of you and your power, Lord. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.